In this month's episode of Table Tennis Talk, we cover the World Championships with all of its surprising upsets, crazy Japanese shots, and awkward after-match interviews. So thanks for joining us again for another episode of Table Tennis Talk. Uh, this is number two, and second things are always the hardest. This is our sophomore slump. Uh, my name is Ryan Lewis. I'm here with my co-host, Joey Cochran. How's it going, Ryan? How's it going, everybody? <laughs> everybody says good. I say good. <laughs> uh, so I, as as the first episode, we weren't really sure how this is was going to go, um, we do have some, uh, I guess, podcast news. Uh, after the first episode, I published the podcast up on a bunch of different outlets, um, such as iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Google also has a podcast app, which I use to listen to things. Um, and then Luminary Podcasts um, and a few others that came downstream. So if, you, if you're listening to this, obviously you're listening to it somewhere. Uh, but those are some other outlets that you can get things, get the podcast app. And uh, Joey, what do you listen to podcasts on? I personally, I like to use Spotify. Um, I usually just have Spotify open at work. Um, so that's that's where I listen to it. Cool. Cool. So uh, on iTunes, you can actually leave us a review. You can write kind words. So uh, leave us a review. We'd love to hear Uh, what you think of the podcast. And if you have questions, um, we don't really have any questions today, uh, but I I think it would be cool to have a mailbag uh, part of the podcast. Sure, yeah, I would love to take questions. And if anyone has ideas, um, we'll try to work them in if we think they're worthy. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So uh, you can email us at tabletennistalkpodcast at gmail.com, all one word. Uh, Or on Twitter, we're at tttalkpodcast. Um, and I tried to get table tennis talk that was taken. I think even table tennis talk podcast was taken. So it's TT talk podcast. Somebody <laughs> must have heard our podcast and stolen them. <laughs> yeah. And the worst part is table tennis talk. I think it had like zero tweets. So somebody just took the name and then just never did anything with it. So, um, all right. So uh, it's been a month uh, since we did the last podcast and um, we, we live life. So I'm, I'm, uh, Joey, I think some things have uh, happened to you in the last month. Um, what did you do? Didn't you do something yesterday? Yeah, so I actually, so since our last podcast, I went through and I bought the Harumoto racket with Dignix. Um, usually I don't play with it right away. I'll, I'll practice with it, but I don't play very many competitions right away until I get used to it. Um, so yesterday I played in a tournament in Vegas and I think actually since the last podcast, I've actually played two tournaments. So in the last three, four weeks, I've played mm. I played two tournaments. Um, I won both of them, which was nice. One of them was with with the new racket. So one thing to like for those who don't know me, I've used the same paddle for 19 years. <laughs> so changing to this racket was a big deal for me. I mean, I I don't I don't switch very often. So this was. This is a big step, and it was way faster, and I got all new calluses and blisters on my hands from it. Oh, wow. Um, even though it feels good when I'm warming up and practicing, it's different <laughs> when you start playing tough competitive matches. Yeah, and the paddle you've been using was one that came with a table tennis table, right? It's one of the ones that free ones that came with it? Yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was it was fun. I Awesome. It was, it was a good time. It's good to be – so it's been a while since I've actually played tournaments, I've just been coaching for the last five or six years, mostly. I've played a couple, but a couple of tournaments. But this was this was fun to go and play. I'm trying to play more tournaments, so yeah, it was fun. Getting back in the saddle. Yep. Nice. And and it it also sounds like you uh you had a little bit of a Dignix scare there. Yeah. So after buying it brand new, I mean, this is expensive rubber. Hundred five dollars is by far the most I've ever played or paid for rubber. And I, I had it, actually, I had it put away, um, and we had a whole bunch of people at our house, 
and somebody got it out and was playing with it at my house because I have a table at my house. And so by the end of the night, I realized that there was a big old dent in the rubber. I'm not even sure how you would do that, but there was probably a three inch long um, dent in the rubber. So I'm not sure how that happened, but it's, it ended up <laughs> working out fine. Like I just played with it anyways. And it, it seems like it's almost gone away now. Um, so I'm not super worried about it anymore, mm-hmm. but for like a few hours, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is brand new and <laughs> it's ruined, but it's not anymore. It's fine. Yeah. Did you take out the ping pong paddle protection on your, I probably should get this insured. <laughs> I, I don't like valuable possessions insurance or whatever it's called. Yeah. But now I, I don't have any of that. <laughs> cool. Not sure they would even do it. Yeah. That would be a fun conversation to have with the insurance company. <laughs> I think I, I get the feeling that they would probably be surprised that it costs so much. Yeah. I think it was, I mean, you you know, how much did this thing cost? 500 bucks? I think it was around 500. Yeah. Way too much. Like, I, I hope my wife doesn't hear this and, and hear how much it costs. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah. For me, uh, in the last month, I actually um, played my first tournament, which we talked about in the first podcast. Um, and true to your prediction, Joey, I, I didn't win a single game, definitely not a single match. Uh, it was it was at the Salt Palace at a fitness convention um, in Salt Lake City. And there was it was right across the aisle from the Bang Uh, which is like this energy drink, this bang energy drink, um, their booth, but it was more like a concert. They had a stage and a DJ and this loud music. It was, it was so distracting. (laughs) It was so hard. Yeah. Sometimes playing in those tournaments, every tournament, I feel like there's always, there's always something that's just like, what in the world? I mean, this is ping pong. It's not, (laughs) it, it, there's always something that just like, wow, this is this is kind of weird or this is unusual or I don't know. It's just That's just the way it goes, it seems like, with ping pong. Yeah. Unless you go to like the U.S. Open, even the U.S. Open or U.S. Nationals, there, it still seems like there's always, there's always something that just mm. is out of the ordinary. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, but I had, I had tons of fun. I feel like I got some good shots in um, and I feel – feel like I learned a lot, so it was a good milestone for me. That's a big thing. As long as you're learning from it, um, the first couple tournaments are usually pretty tough. So as long as you're learning and that way you kind of know what to work on and it's easier to get better when you play tournaments. And also you know who to beat. You have some, some people that <laughs> next time you play them, hopefully you'll beat them. Some targets, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and then actually last week I was up in Portland for a work trip and um, we went to this Dave & Buster's kind of entertainment place and they had ping pong tables and you could rent paddles. And I was, I was expecting like the normal ones you get from, um, you know, from sets or from package with balls or tables or something. Um, and they, when they, when they handed out, cause you had to rent the paddles and the ball when they hand handed the, the paddles to me, they were, they were completely plastic, uh, which is something I have never seen before. <laughs> and, um, it's even hard enough going to like the 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 dinky paddles, uh, you know, playing with those. It's hard to get spin. They um, they don't they don't really grab the ball at all. But I mean, the plastic ones were were insane. I, it was it was crazy. It was a crazy experience. Yeah, with the plastic, you you can't really get any spin on it. There's no way to like come over the top of the ball. It just yeah. go straight down. So exactly. Yeah, it was weird. So. That was my uh, ping pong experience in Portland. Uh, so let's move on to the news, and we have a ton of news. Uh, the big one is 2021 World Table Tennis Championships will be in Houston, Texas, United States. For me, <laughs> for me, that was probably the most exciting thing I've heard in ping pong in a long time. Yeah. Um, I heard that it was the it's the first time that it'll be outside of Europe or Asia since 1939. Man. And to have that in the US like oh man that's going to be awesome. I'm I'm really pumped for it. It's going to be sweet. I've already taken the whole week off work. <laughs> <laughs> Get it in, I mean, buy those flights. Yeah. It's it's going to be fun. I'm going to I mean, if I'm not playing it, I'll I'll be there watching or volunteering or I'll be a part of it in some 
some way. I, I'm I'm excited for it, and I'll definitely be there. I didn't even think about volunteering. That would be cool. Yeah. So that actually, they had the World Veteran Championships in the U.S. Yeah. Last year, I think it was last year. Uh huh. And I volunteered there, and it was it was so fun. Um, cool. They you get so with the World Veterans, what it is is it's like um, it's age group, so it's like forty to forty five, and forty five to fifty, and fifty to fifty five every age group up to like 90s and every event is just full of really good players from all over the world i think they had like five or six thousand players there wow um anyone i think anybody can sign up for it but it was just it was so cool to see so many people everyone playing ping pong and i mean and with the world championships coming to houston now it's it's just one thing after another it seems like and it's just gonna be awesome like if if i'm not playing i'm i'm volunteering like i'll be there it's it was a lot of fun yeah did you so with volunteering did you get to actually watch matches though or were you having to do stuff the whole time yeah so with the volunteer you you work a shift and then when you're not on shift then you can go and look like it was in las vegas for the world veterans mm-hmm. so you go out and see shows or get some food or you can watch matches and so i watched a lot of matches um i worked a lot and then i went to some shows and stuff so I'm not super familiar with what's in Houston. I've never been there, but I'm sure there's plenty to do. And if you're not, if there's not anything to do outside of the tournament, then there's gonna be tons of good matches going on. Obviously, so yeah, that'll be sweet. Who cares what you can do in Houston? Yeah, we're there to watch ping pong. <laughs> cool. So yeah, um, I was really hoping it would pass, and then it did, and and that was that was cool. Um, and there was another interesting thing that happened at the world championships. Well, so to, to step back. So at the world championships, they had like a general meeting of the ITTF, um, and all of their, I guess, worldwide, the, the, like, I guess the worldwide, I don't know, table tennis, regional table tennis groups that make up the ITTF, I guess that's what it is. So they would have like the heads of that there and they were able to vote on where like for instance where the the 2021 2022 world championships would be at the 2022 is going to be at um in Chengdu China um and then they also had some other proposals um one of which uh is very interesting and that is the proposal to allow different colored rubbers other than other than I guess red on your racket and that uh proposal was approved um, as of after the 2020 Olympics, um, one side has to be black uh, uh, colored, but the other rubber can be any color, it looks like. So, yeah, I saw that, and I actually just barely heard about this, um, like, this weekend. Um, but I'm actually kind of excited about it. I think it'll be kind of fun to see just the different colors. Red and black has been such a staple for so long. Yeah. And... I think it'll be fun. I don't. I mean, I don't really have a huge opinion. I don't think it's going to change the game any, but it'll be cool to see just the different colors. I'm. I'm curious. I haven't. I haven't actually watched the press conference, but I'm curious if it could be black and black, or if it has to be black and a different color. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm excited to kind of see what the manufacturers are going to make. Like, I'd love to see like a black and a purple, or a black and yellow. Maybe not yellow. That'd be ugly. Um, <laughs> Bumblebee. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see. So, would do you think you would stick with red, or do you think you might uh, pick a different color? I'd probably pick green. Green, cool. Yeah, green's my favorite color. So, like a like a neon green, or like a lime green, or like a forest green. More of a forest green. Forest green, cool. Cool. I think I would probably go with blue. Blue is my favorite color. So. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I was also thinking that uh, for equipment manufacturers, this could potentially be good. I feel like it could it could uh, make people uh, maybe purchase more rubbers. Um, and it could potentially – I'm not sure how the manufacturing goes. It could potentially be hard because if they're trying to create a bunch of different colored rubbers – then that um, would, I don't know, cost more or something. Um, it should be interesting to see how it, how it works out. Um, the last piece, and not really news, but maybe the opinion opinions column of Table Tennis Talk, um, I wanted to uh, uh, 
share share my thoughts and see what Joey thought about the Inside My Mind um, World Table Tennis Championships commercials that the ITTF has been uh, producing. They, they uh, Leading up to the championships, they produced, uh, there were probably like almost like 10 maybe um, different commercials where they would highlight a certain player and then have the player do um, these kind of voiceovers about what they're thinking um, and then these really well-produced, really nice-looking slow-motion shots um, of them serving or um, slamming the ball or doing something. Um, so it, you watched some of those, Joey. What were your thoughts about them? So I really liked what they did with the commercials. Um, it was neat to see uh, the slow-mo and kind of see what players are thinking about and the strategy during points. I feel like it was pretty high level so um it wasn't it wasn't super detailed but it was still neat to see it in a good like transition and something to look at and think about between matches um I had it on so I work a full-time job and I had it on one of my extra monitors at work um just playing and between matches it would just be like one after another of these um mostly just shots and basic strategies for for like T-Mobile and some other big big name players. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I liked them. I thought they were good. It just, I, I, sometimes I was thinking like, was this scripted? Did somebody write this or mm. is this what the player was putting down? I kind of think it was scripted, but there were still some good points or pointers, I should say. Um, and good things to think about that someone like a lay person might see it and not understand. I feel like with table tennis, one of the hardest things um, for viewership is understanding why people miss. A lot of, especially mm. in the men's, the points are so short. And a lot of people came by and asked me, why why did they miss that? And explaining it. And so I think that the commercials actually did a pretty good job. Of like, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's here's Here are the things that I'm taking into account. Um, as I'm preparing and as I'm hitting the ball, um, and it kind of helps clarify some of that, which I thought I thought it was really good. Cool. Yeah, I think um, I think this is probably some of the best uh, promotional materials that the ITTF has put together uh, that I've seen so far. And um, particularly, I really enjoyed seeing uh, Ding Ning's reverse tomahawk serve in slow motion, because I, I mean. Every time I've seen that, I, I'm not able to make any sense of what's actually happening. And so to see it in slow motion, uh, on the one hand, it was it was fascinating uh, to see. And on the other hand, I, I almost feel like it was like giving up her secret. <laughs> like, like this is like her special serve that she whips out at the end of matches when it's getting when it's um, really close uh, to really kind of take her opponent off guard and to to give them a slow motion play by play um to uh figure out what she's doing yeah it does break it down pretty well yeah so you can kind of see exactly what what the angles and yeah. what she's doing to the ball i feel like she's she's been doing it for i don't actually know how long she's been using that serve but i feel like she's been using the serve maybe long enough that at this point it's not it's not a huge secret um so Maybe that's okay then. Should we go to the results? I don't know if I want to for mine. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's move on to um, talk about the elephant in this small podcasting room, uh, the World Championships. What an event! A whole week. I had it on at work. We have this big seventy-inch TV in my in my in my little team area, and we had it on the whole time. Uh, well, basically, so because of the time change, I think usually it ended up, um, ending around one or two. Um, so I would get there about eight o'clock in the morning, a little bit earlier than normal and turn it on and just watch, watch as much as I could. Usually table one, just cause the, the can had more camera angles, but, um, also, um, yeah, I, I turn it on. I think table three was where, um, Table. It was either table two or three, but one of the tables seemed like it was actually being filmed by TV Tokyo because the um, in the scorecard or the score section, the names were in Japanese. 
um, and almost all of the Japanese matches were on that table. Um, so I think that was table three. So I would turn it on there pretty regularly as well. You're a pretty big fan of the Japanese. Oh, so, right? well, I love watching the Japanese. I right? do too. I love watching them. I don't speak Japanese where I think you do. But, yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're my favorite to watch too. Yeah. Okay, so we predicted... Uh, oh who, who, who would be in the top three? And granted, we predicted before we actually had the seating. So we didn't actually know if these were like realistic um, finals or not. Um, but uh, we, we made a predict- prediction. Um, how'd your predictions go, Joey? Yeah, mine did about as bad as they could have been. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. So my top three, um, I had. Fanzendong, Shushin, and Harumoto finishing first, second, third for the men, and none of them made the finals, so. yeah. <laughs> or or even semifinals. Yeah. So my predictions didn't do so good. Same thing in the women's. I none of my three made it, so my predictions were pretty terrible. But that's okay. It was tough <laughs> though. I mean, the, the the players you predicted like they they were solid predictions. I I would have assumed that. Most of those players would have at least gotten to like the quarter semifinals, but it was it was tough out there. You know, I'm actually kind of glad that my predictions <laughs> didn't come true because yeah. seeing like the Chinese go down, Shu Shin go down in an early round, like I love watching the upsets. Um, yeah. I was a little disappointed in Harmoto losing earlier, yeah. but you know, it's it's fun to see. I mean, Harmoto is, is a new name. It's fun to see new people winning um, and doing well. So. And it's also fun to see Europeans or non-Chinese doing well also. Yeah. So, I mean, the Chinese just been, they've been winning for so long, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. For my predictions, um, I did predict that Malong would be, um, number one and that, that came true, but Fan Zhendong, um, Malong took him out. Like, was that like quarterfinals or round of 16 or something? I want to say it was the quarters, but, uh, I would have to look it up. It seemed pretty early. Um, and then um, Hugo Calderano, I thought, would come in third, and he was taken out. Uh, Wait, Malong didn't take out Fan Zendong. Uh, oh, he didn't. Jing Jinkun Liang, I don't know how to say his name. Liang Jinkun. Liang Jinkun beat Fan Zendong, and that was uh, in the round of 16. I just looked it up. Got it, got it. Okay. Man, that was – I mean, Liang Jinkun, I, I feel like he does that. Like, he comes into these tournaments and – He's kind of a wild card, and he goes up against like the big Chinese players and just and just takes them out. Um, and then he, he plays I don't know players he's maybe less familiar with and and doesn't do quite as well, but he's he's an exceptional player. Um, uh, for the women, I I said that Liu Xiwen would be second, um, and she actually took the whole thing, um, which I think was her. I think she's been on a dry spell, but I think it at 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 some point, maybe a few years ago, she was um, she she. I don't think this was her first uh, world championship. I think she's actually um, had a few, um, and then had a had a really big dry spell for a while. I like watching her play because she seems happy. <laughs> <laughs> so many of the 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 top players, especially like I'm picking on China a little bit too much, maybe, but. So many of the top Chinese players, they just look so unhappy and too serious. Like yeah. with her, she she just seems happy to be playing and yeah. to be winning, and like she smiles. Where some of the other players, they like they never smile. It's just yeah. like like all business, which is okay. Um, but I I like to watch her play and and to see her win. I was happy that she won it. Yeah, more personality, I guess, in the player. Yeah, and and I I would say one one thing that really. Um, was uh, I took notice of throughout really the whole world championships is the the amount of emotion that was on on display. I mean, like um, you know, when Liu Xiwen won, she just burst out crying, um, and she even had trouble like standing up, and it was just a huge, like a super emotional moment. Um, uh, Malong, when when he took the championships, not quite as emotional, but still, still, uh, compared to like normal tournaments, people were really, um, they were just giving it their all. 
Yeah, so at the Worlds, I mean, this is the accumulation of, I mean, of the whole year. I mean, this is the one you want to win, so everyone's out there giving it their all. Yeah. So, yeah, it's there's a lot of emotion, a lot of country pride, a lot of just, yeah, a lot of emotion. <laughs> cool. Let's talk about the let's talk about some of the matches that we uh, notice and just kind of um, call out some things. So I'm going to start with Kanak and Ma Long. Um, Ma Long obviously beat him. He won the worlds, but it was it was my favorite match because I'm I mean everyone knows I'm a big fan of Kanak and all the U.S. players. But Kanak he so he won the first game. Yeah. Um, Malong completely changed his strategy in the second game. The first game, it was a lot of rallies, great points, um, and Kanak was actually winning most of the most of the rallies. And mm. then Malong switched it up. He played a lot more short and a lot more technical, and it, he won the second game pretty easily. And then the third and fourth games were both very close. Mm. Um, Kanak had a couple game points, and he could have in the fourth, and he could have made it two two, and. He lost that one. Chinese. One thing about the Chinese is they always find a way to win the mm. close games. They're always they always find a way to win them, and that's what Ma Long did. And then he won the last game pretty handily. But it was it was an exciting match um, to see and to cheer for. So that was my favorite one. But yeah. there's a, there were tons. There were tons of really great matches at the Worlds this year. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I big think upsets. even even taking one game off Ma Long is like that's that's cool. That's definitely an um, achievement, I would think, uh, for Kanak. Um, yeah, one of the huge upsets that just kind of blew my mind was um, not not only a huge upset, but an amazing match to watch was um, Xu Xin le- uh, losing to Simone Gozi from France, um, who, which Gozi is a, an incredible player, but, I mean, Xu Xin is, what is he, number two in the world right now, or maybe he was, Um and it was, it was just a lot of, you know, thinking back on it, there were just a lot of really weird shots that were made. Um, the rhythm was quite odd um, in the, in the, in the points, um, just in terms of uh, back and forth. Um, I almost wondered at some point, one of the points Shushin um, put some type of uh, support around his knee in between one of the games. I feel like he usually has something around his leg um, mm. that he didn't have, but then he put it on halfway through the match. Um, it didn't seem like it affected him a whole lot. Um, he was getting he was getting outplayed, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one thing about one thing about the Chinese is that they they're they're very clean. Um, mm. They they their strokes are like if you're gonna mimic somebody's strokes or game style, the Chinese is the one that you want to. The Chinese are the ones that you want to imitate after. So when you get someone like um, Gauzi, who is a little bit un, un, unorthodox, um, unconventional, yeah. mm-hmm. it kind of messes with their rhythm. And that's yeah. it's a good way to, to get points that you wouldn't – like you don't want to play a clean game against the Chinese because yeah. their clean game against your clean game, they're, they're going to win. They're just better right. at it. So when you, when you have little tricks or – some abnormalities in your style, it actually helps you to do well against the Chinese because it's it kind of throws them off a little bit, and that's exactly what he did in this match. Yeah, yeah. Um, and let's talk about Matthias Falk. Oh, man. <laughs> like, who ever thought... <laughs> finals? Ma- yeah, Matthias Falk would be playing Malong for the finals of the World Championships. That, yeah, I I didn't think it. <laughs> I, I was... I, mean, I I trained a lot in Sweden, so I like to see the Swedes do well. Yeah, and it was it was awesome. I mean, I yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's actually, um, as far as I understand, the first Swede since the '90s to actually reach a final, which is, I mean, that's almost 20 years now. I think you were you were mentioning that um, he had a really uh, lucky draw. So I don't know if it's a lucky draw, but he didn't have any Chinese in his draw until mm. the finals, which is pretty awesome. Like if you're gonna <laughs> play in the worlds, like somehow he evaded. So the one, the top half of the draw had three Chinese players. The bottom half just had Xu Xin, who lost to Simon Gozi. Yeah. And so I mean, and he had to play Simon Gozi. So I mean, he had to play someone who's better <laughs> than the Chinese. So he didn't have. I wouldn't say an easy draw, but. 
I certainly wouldn't want to face up against the Chinese anywhere until the finals, and that's exactly what he got, which is yeah. pretty awesome. I mean, that's I'd consider that a pretty lucky draw. Yeah. <laughs> so since the world's, I see a lot of things on YouTube and different articles. Say, is Ma Long the greatest ever? Um, <laughs> I that's one term that I just I don't like. I don't. I've never liked the the greatest ever. Like you turn on ESPN and is the greatest thing ever. The the most this the so I don't know if I would call him the greatest ever. He's certainly one of the best. Um, and Ma Long, is, he's won 12 world championships between singles, doubles, and teams. So you could argue that he is the greatest ever. Um, I just I tend to stay away from that term. Um, he's definitely one of the best, though. I would not argue that for one second. It's always fun to call things the greatest ever because then you have something to argue about. Yeah, you can you can argue about it. It's so hard to compare like different yeah. different times. I mean, some people would say that Waldner was the greatest ever. He went into the worlds and mm-hmm. he won the whole thing without dropping a single game. Like that's pretty impressive. Wow. And just super dominant. He won everything for a long time and 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 I think you can make an argument that he's the greatest ever. Yeah. One thing that a lot of people do is they look at the the championships and say, well, this person is the greatest ever because he's won the most worlds or the most Super Bowls or the most mm. NBA championships. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a very fair argument to make because, I mean, for a long time, Ben Roethlisberger won more Super Bowls than Peyton Manning. But I don't think anyone would argue that Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> – Ben Roethlisberger is better than Peyton Manning. I've never like, even heard of him. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> he's—I mean, he's a good quarterback. I mean, here we are talking about football, but I just—I <laughs> feel like that it's not a fair comparison to just look at at your championships because it doesn't—I mean, it doesn't really mean that you're the greatest just because you won more mm. more championships. Yeah, not to mention that the the table tennis rules and equipment rules and and the ball—they change. It's totally changed so yeah. quickly. Um, I mean, if you look at the game, I don't even remember. I, I don't know if you know when when they went from twenty one points to eleven points for for games. Oh yeah, I was definitely playing a lot of ping pong when that happened. Oh, you were okay. <laughs> I actually really liked the change. I think that was one of the best changes that they've made in ping pong was yeah. was changing the length of the game. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the Japanese and just how fun they were to watch. Um, we we already talked about how. We, we like to watch the Japanese, but I would say that the the championships and, and maybe it was um, maybe it was the uh, hype that they had. Uh, I know leading up to it, there was uh, uh, TV Tokyo was filming the Japanese team's trainings and putting things up on YouTube. Um, they uh, had their own table. Uh, which had, I, I would assume, was showing on Japanese television. Um, and I feel like they just kind of, they just had a presence, I feel like, that that the Chinese team, that the German team, Swedish, Korean team, it, any of these other teams just didn't really have um, some really notable, um, some some really notable, points that I saw was there was one and I'll post these in the um, show notes. Um, there was this uh, uh, point with Kokiniwa where he um, it, it looked like it was just instinctually switched hands with his racket and blocked um, blocked a, uh, a shot from Liang Jinkun. Um and I mean just looking at the point it looked like he was confused like he didn't even realize what had happened. <laughs> Kokoniwa is one of those players where I it's he's his style is so weird like yeah. I, I he's so good but I I just don't understand the way he plays. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah, he switched hands against Lan Jinkun, blocked blocked his loop with his right arm. He's a lefty. Blocked it with his right hand and like it just it was like a almost like a drop shot. I think it might have hit the net. I can't really yeah. tell. But it was an awesome block and then he ended up winning the point after that. It wasn't he didn't win the point on that shot, but he had to like switch back and then like, yeah. loop another one. Yeah, <laughs> he switched back too. Yeah, and, yeah. He's he's a fun one to watch. I every time I see him play, I think of I don't, I don't know how many listeners out there know like uh, play Street Fighter games, but he's like huh. 
he's like the guy that's like facing the wrong way and like I think it's Yoshimitsu in in Soul Calibur. Like okay. there's always one character that's just like kinda awkward. Like yeah. he like punches behind him. Like I I don't know, just he's always like hits these weird <laughs> shots that it, it, I it's I it's hard to explain. Like, yeah. his style is just so different than everybody else's, but he's still like super good. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the um uh kind of mixing up the rhythm. Um, and that's something that, I mean, Kokiniwa 100% does. Um, and that's probably why he, you know, that, that may be one of the reasons why he, he does find success with uh, the Chinese, against the Chinese. Yeah. And, I mean, not to mention, like, he's he's great in the rallies, and he has all the shots that he needs, but then he just he just has that extra <laughs> weird style. Like, yeah. It just it works. Yeah. It's fun to see. Um yeah, a- another crazy shot was um, in the mixed doubles match between Kazuhiro Yoshimura and uh, Kasumi Ishikawa versus Shushin and Liu Shiwen. Um, I'm sure glad that you're saying these things <laughs> and not me. I, I couldn't do it. A <laughs> little bit of a tongue twister um, <laughs> for sure, even for me. I struggle with them. I... Yeah. But so it was the last point of, of the match um, and Yoshimura uh, – I think Liu Xuan returns it to him um, way to the to his uh, to his backhand. And he he goes behind the back, behind his back and hits <laughs> and hits the ball back and makes it, which is really impressive. Um, and then um, I think Shushin then hits it like into Kasumi Ishikawa's body. And then she also makes it with a really awkward holding the racket. Um, they ended up losing the point and losing the game, but man, I just love the creativity. I feel like it's like if you want to see what's po- it's like it's like when you watch Waldner, like he just does just the craziest shots, and it's like almost the whole Japanese national team is kind of taken on that. Uh, you watch it because you want to see something new that you haven't seen before. Yeah, I see something crazy behind the back or switching hands. Yeah. And then it, it's like it just looks so natural when they do it, and then the point goes on. Like it's not just like yeah. one shot and it's over. It's <laughs> it's one shot and then it just keeps going. And yeah, it's yeah the Japanese. They've always been Japanese. Have always been my favorite to watch because they're always so fast and they're they're creative. So yeah. yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, I feel like it's that creativity. It's like uh, the Japanese teams um, are all about creativity, and the Chinese teams are all about like rigorous perfection so you're saying like in that in those clean games like you don't want to fight the chinese you want to be more creative so it's it's kind of interesting to see the different approaches and um even though it feels like the the japanese team um in the worlds was didn't do that great performance wise especially in the singles and the the um the doubles they did pretty well but in the singles they didn't do too well um, but I feel like they're kind of nipping at, at Chinese China's um, China's heel. heels. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, uh, another thing to mention is that uh, China made a clean clean sweep at the Worlds, took all the golds. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, I'm. I mean, I guess I'm. It's 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 expected. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. The Chinese are still a level above everybody else. So if one guy goes down, like Shushin, he goes down in, in an early round, and they still have three other guys who are yeah. just as good or better. So, yeah. And same thing on the women's side. They're just they're, they're a step above everybody else. Um, I think it'll stay that way for a little bit longer. Um, I'm hoping to see some some contenders knock them out. It's, it's great to see that that they're losing. Like – They've been so yeah. dominant for so long, and I think uh, the world ranking systems gets a lot of um, a lot of criticism, but I actually think it's helped a lot in in forcing the Chinese to play more tournaments, mm-hmm. um, and giving people opportunities to learn from them, to play them, and to beat them. And yeah. and you're seeing them go down um, much more often than than we used to. So I actually really like the the new ranking systems we'll have to talk about that in another time it's not in this one but um yeah i actually i i think you're right i think that the japanese are kind of nipping at their heels and they're the the french now and the swedes are doing really well 
Um, and it's, it's really good to see that. And I think, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also want to talk about, uh, some of the, um, because the, uh, worlds was such a big, uh, event, uh, in terms of a media event. And, uh, because I, I was watching it live every single day and, and watched a lot of the matches afterwards, I kind of noticed that there were, there were really cool things that, that, um, that the ITTF did around the event. And then there were some also kind of some awkward, almost a little bit cringy, um, things. Uh, and, and I thought that would be fun to talk about, like they televised, the um the draws the initial draws for seated players and uh on the one hand i thought it was really cool because i never really i've never really seen that um but on the other hand like it was super cringy um like i was i was actually watching it um on my couch and my wife was in the room um with one of her friends and they were they, they kept commenting, like, what are you watching? Like, what is this thing? This is so weird. Um, and so, I yeah, I mean, if if, if they're going to televise something, maybe uh, there were so many technical issues. And there were, like, people who weren't there that they were like, uh, hey, random person, do you want to come draw for this other random person? Like, it just, it was so cringy. It was so tough. Um also the after after match interviews that oh, they man. do. I didn't watch the draw the the video of the draws, yeah. but the after match interviews were man, I was pretty cringy. I, I mean, it's like every time they ask them, there there's just there's never any good answers. Yeah, the questions weren't great, but the answers were just as bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like oh man, just don't even do it. I feel like like you gotta I feel like it's good to do that, but man, some of the questions are just yeah. Like we were talking before the show about some of these questions and like there is there is no good answer for it. It's like <laughs> how do you feel about winning? Well, I feel good. Like, yeah. like <laughs> I don't know, I just it cringy is a good word for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean like I, I think if they maybe if they put more uh thought into the questions, maybe they would be better. But at the same time, like if it seems like a lot of the players they're just not that's not what they do you know they they don't get um i feel like a lot of athletes probably get media training uh to train them to to do interviews and speak and and not sound crazy um but i don't think table tennis players get any of that no they i don't think so either just yeah. judging off of what we saw at the worlds i don't think so yeah for sure for sure uh and the the other thing that that i feel like I feel like they tried, but it just, it was just very kind of embarrassing was the halftime show. I don't know if you saw this. I think it was, I think it was for the finals. Um, but so, so the, the ITTF got a theme song for the worlds. Um, you know, the, the song that plays at the beginning of all of the, uh, the recap videos. Um, and it, it's not a bad song. It's, it's kind of cool. I liked it. Uh, but they had the, they had the people who made the song, come and like play it for like like a halftime event oh man it was so oh man it, and so and so because of the the where they're where they're having the finals at there's just this there was just this big open area um to the side of the main tables where they had the people on the ground like dancing around <laughs> and i i think it just seemed like half the audience was not paying attention um, it just felt I like I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, even televised, even televised, you could tell that there were cameras down there on it, but like the camera that was actually, um, like the camera that was actually being put through the, the streaming feed was the camera that was way up in the stands. So all you could see was these little people bouncing around <laughs> oh, man. on the floor and like, you could kind of hear the music, um, even when I was watching it, I was I was like not paying attention. I looked over and I was like, "Wait, what are they? What are they? Oh no, they're not they're not singing a song, are they? Oh no, what is this?" <laughs> so if you're if you're listening and coordinating the Houston Worlds, take notes. Oh yeah, this is things to stay away from. No yeah. singing in halftime shows. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I appreciate the effort, but it's definitely one of those things where step the game up. 
step the game up even more because there were some actually really cool things. Like, I, I don't know if you noticed at the end when people would win a match, they would sign the camera. Or yeah, well, I, th- I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, after the match, the winner would go and sign the... I'm sure there was like a sheet in front of the yeah. camera or something. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I even in the office, people commented um, when they saw that happening. They were like, oh, that's that's really cool. Um, <clears throat> also, the video quality of the matches were was superb, like much better than than previous. Um, if you watched it on the ITTF website, um, the quality was kind of what you would normally expect from most uh, tournaments. But um, if you watched it, if you're in America and you watched it on the Bleacher Report, which actually had, um, I think they only had table one, but the quality was much better. I think the, the frames per second was um, a lot higher. It felt like you were actually there. It felt like a real sporting event and not quite um, like watching on the ITTF homepage. Sometimes the quality isn't that great. Um, and then they also did kind of like a, a commentary um, not really halftime show, like an after show, uh, called Lee Pair Live, um, which I didn't actually watch a ton of. I just watched a, a few of them, but um, I felt like that was kind of cool. Uh, it just kind of uh, it had players on there that you had seen playing, like Kanak Jaw was on there for some time, Lily Zhang was on there for some time, uh, and and there were plenty of other players as well, but. Um, I thought that was kind of a cool, cool thing that that um, gave gave them some time to kind of talk about things and and get deeper in the game for for beginners or uh, people who really just want to see what's going on behind the uh, behind the table. All right, and Joey, I know you want to move on. Coaching corner is uh, is uh, calling your name, but want to talk about the upsets. I feel like if if there was one thing that I took away from this year's worlds and and I haven't really watched I watched the team championships last year I didn't watch the 2017 worlds but it seemed like there were just these crazy upsets that you just could not have predicted there are definitely a lot of upsets this year um a lot of yeah just exciting matches big upsets things that I mean I never saw coming I had I mean obviously <laughs> with my results um but yeah there were yeah a lot of upsets this year which is I love upsets. I love the underdog. Yeah. I love, I love that. Yeah, a few of the few of the ones that that really um, took me by surprise. Um, Simone Gozi beating Shushin that we mentioned. That was probably the biggest upset of the tournament. I would yeah. think. I mean, yeah. Um, Tomislav Pukar, uh, who's who's, <laughs> I'd never heard, I'd never seen him play before from Croatia, number world number fifty eight, beat Dmitry Ovtarov, um, which that was that's crazy. I'm I'm sure that they've played before against yeah. each other, uh-huh. but I definitely didn't see that coming. I don't think very many people saw that coming, except for maybe um, <laughs> Pukar. I don't know how to say his <laughs> name. I don't think very many people saw that one coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the 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 name that you you had to learn if if you were watching the worlds was An Jae Hyun, and uh, this guy from from Nor- uh, from South Korea. Uh, number world number 157 came out of the gates first of all so Anjay Hyun came through the group stage um, came into the 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 seated draw his first match was against uh, Wang Chung Ting who is amazing pen holder um, you, you definitely expect uh, him to just wipe the floor with Anjay Hyun and uh, beat Wang Chung Ting um, I think it was four to zero um, went on uh, to uh, beat other people, but then met Tomokazu Harimoto and beat him as well. Went all the way to the semifinals. Um, was finally beaten by Matthias Falk, but it was a super close game. And I was thinking he was going to go to the finals. I and mean, like... Number 157 in the world making it to the finals would have been awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm cheering for Sweden, but yeah. having that would be really cool. He, the fact that he'd be... Yeah. I mean, both those players and Harimoto, like, I'm I'm going to need a new racket now. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. the Anja Hyun racket. Yeah. Butterfly. I don't know that he actually has any sponsorships. Yeah, he should. I mean, yeah. after after his performance at the World, see, he better. I mean, someone has to pick him up. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, um, it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of keep up the, uh, keep up that um, momentum for that. So I, I was actually, I was watching it and I, I was just like, 
man, this guy's so good. Um, but really just in general, all of these upsets, like how does that happen? Is it just these, these players like Shushin? Is it just, um, he's having a bad day? Um, hopefully not some worlds, but, uh, or, or does it just that, that, that Anja Hyun just, I don't know. He just has been hiding in his closet and is just like, Hey, I'm just going to go to these worlds and just kind of, you know, beat everyone. So, I mean, there's a lot that can go into, I mean, any upset, there's, there can be a number of different factors. One of those might be that, yeah, someone's just having a bad day or maybe, maybe Anja Hoon is, is having a good day, right? It could be a style matchup. Mm. It could be, um, just maybe one player got a really good night's rest and he's playing, (laughs) playing really good that day. I mean, um, it could be that it could be a coaching thing, um, where the coach might know a secret that about the player that like a strategy that he didn't expect or whatever. So, and there, there can be a lot of things, but it seemed like this year, like we talked about a minute ago, they're just a lot lot of upsets. So it's kind of hard to tell exactly the, to pinpoint it, but, um, I was wondering, like, I know that, you know, uh, players, I know that players do a lot of preparation going into these and, um, just from things that I've seen or, or heard, it, it, it appears that whenever they're, um, kind of preparing to play a certain player, they, they study that player's, uh, style and, and think about strategies against them. And yeah. so you've got these, these kind of, um, these surprise players like Anja Hyun, which probably apparently Harimoto had played him at some point, but probably most of these players, you know, if they played him, they don't, they forgot about him. So I wonder if it's like, like you said, maybe a style matchup, they come in, they, they're just doing things that, that, um, the, the better players haven't had time to prepare for and kind of take everyone off guard. Is that, is that an aspect of it? Yeah. I mean, for sure. When you're going into a big match, um, a lot of players, most all of these players are going to have a ton of videos on YouTube, and it's easy to go and scout them out. And you can scout them out at the tournament. You can scout them out online. You can, you can, you can watch and develop strategies to play against each other. Hmm. So, if you haven't played them before, then that's a really good way to figure out how you're going to approach the match. Hmm. Um, if you have played them, then you might have a little bit better of an idea of how what you're, what you're going to do but then they're going to also have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do so yeah. there's definitely a lot of scouting though going on cool well what a worlds i'm um i was a little sad it was over with because uh, it was such a fun event but um we have we always have next year to look forward to and 2021 in houston i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> all right joey's coaching corner take it away joey all right, so this month's coaching corner, I, I want to talk about serves. Um, a couple of things uh, you want to serve into that help with your strengths, but also your opponent's weaknesses. I feel like a lot of times when when we're playing or when people are playing, they mostly just serve to their opponent's weaknesses, which is good, but it could be better. So what, for example, if this happens a lot with juniors who haven't developed all their strokes yet, but let's say they're they're really good with counter drives and hitting top spins. If that's the case, you don't want to serve backspin and then have your opponent push to you. You want to serve a top spin ball and then get into what your strengths are. So mm-hmm. that that that's kind of a simplified solution with for somebody who doesn't have all the strokes and haven't hasn't developed all the way, but Everybody has strengths and weaknesses, so you want to you want to serve into your opponent's weaknesses, but also serve something that'll help with your own strengths. Hmm. Another thing with the serve is if you if you find a serve that works, let's say let's say you serve backspin short into the forehand and that works. There's there are two different um, styles or there are two different philosophies on how to proceed. Like if your opponent has a really bad short forehand push, like if you, if you serve backspin and it's very effective into the short forehand, one, one theory is to save that serve and wait until a crucial time in the match that you'll want to pull that serve out again. Hmm. Um, I actually don't like that one. I, I say to just milk it. 
Like if it's mm. working, don't go away from it. Um, to maybe instead of serving, maybe you're doing the pendulum serve short into the forehand backspin and it works really well. Next serve, I would still serve short backspin into the forehand, but maybe do it with your backhand serve or maybe do a reverse pendulum um, into the short forehand backspin. Maybe do maybe do a different serve, um, like a, a tomahawk serve, or just continue to change the look of the serve so your opponent doesn't get used to um, any particular serve. But mm. the, the, the location and the spin keep the same because until it stops working if 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 it's working they're usually they're not going to get that much better at it during the match and as long as you mm. change the look of the serve um, it'll continue to be effective and instead of being 8-8 at the end you might be you might have already won the game it, it, it i'd rather i'd rather win 11-4 than have it be close at 8-8 and then pull out the serve then and hopefully it'll work again like just win the game as soundly as you can and then move away from it when it stops working and maybe try to find something else that works and then milk that area. So that mm. those are my suggestions. So milk it if it works. And that goes for anything, uh, not just serves. And then um, serve into your strengths as well as your opponent's weaknesses. That's good to know. A lot of times I when I'm playing I I try to I try to serve different every single time. Even if even if the previous one I uh, did good. I'm, I'm, I think I kind of, um, think in the philosophy that you mentioned where you, uh, kind of hold on to good serves instead of milking them. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of coaches will tell you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't subscribe to that though. I just, I'd rather win the, win the game, win the point, win the match. Yeah. Um, and then find something else that works there in the first game. I gotta say, I'll, I'll use a lot of different serves find out what works Hmm. um, and kind of get a feel for, for my opponent in that first game. So even if something works in the first game, I might move away from it um, and, and just try to find out. Cause one thing I, I kind of pride myself on, I guess, is my serve. I I feel like I have pretty good serves and I have a lot of different serves. So I, I mix them up and I find out what works and what doesn't work in that first game or first half of the first game. And then, and then I'll I'll use them going forward in the match from there. Awesome. All right. Let's um, let's talk about point of the month, uh, our point of the month analysis. And boy, were there a lot of points to choose from, <laughs> not just in the number of games, but um, the the people who do the uh, game supercuts on ITTF's YouTube channel were. I love those. Just yeah. like fly through a match in 10 minutes or whatever. It's, Man, it's great. They were in overdrive. I don't know if they were paying them overtime or what, because like, th- I mean, there are so many videos. I feel like at some point um, YouTube is going to uh, pull the plug on the ITTF channel <laughs> because <laughs> there's so many videos on there. Uh, but one of the ones that, that this was actually a game that I was watching live um, that I, I was really impressed by is um, a match between Wang Manyu from China versus Hitomi Sato from Japan. It was in the round of 16. Um, Hitomi Sato is a chopper. Um, and there was just this uh, really amazing point. Uh, both players were tied one game to one. Wang Manyu was up um, eight to seven. And um, just an amazing point. Do you want to kind of generally walk us through as it's obviously a, playing a chopper, so that there was a, it was a really long rally. But um, so yeah. as far as matches go, this was actually it's probably one of my favorite points of the tournament, and I think probably my favorite match of of the women's worlds. Um, so yeah, it's it's eight seven for Wang Manyu. It it's hard to really break it down. There's a lot of there's a lot going on in this point. So Hitomi Sato is back away from the table chopping. And Wang Wenyu, she uses lots of different tactics during the one point. So it's a really long point. She starts off, I think, going wide into the backhand, and then she just starts pounding into the middle. So when you're playing choppers, it's it's a pretty common strategy is to loop into the body because choppers, they like to have those big, long, sweeping strokes. So if you mm-hmm. go into the body, it's really tough. Hmm. So she goes into the body, 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 and then she starts going angle, 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 and... Uh, 
Hitomi just is getting everything back really mm. low, awesome footwork, and then eventually she goes back to the middle, then she's drop shotting, um, and eventually Hitomi Sato wins the point. And it's just it's just a great point, and there's a lot going on in it, but if you watch the point in the show notes, just really kind of focus on Wang Minyu's placement and how she's um, moving Hitomi Sato around and also going into the body. But then, I mean, obviously you got to watch Hitomi Sato. She's amazing chopper. Yeah. And I love, I love watching choppers play and I love that she won the point eventually. So, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was kind of wondering, it, it, it felt like, um, and sometimes I get this impression from um, players playing choppers as well. But especially in this point, it felt like Wang Manyu was like, was, was trying everything. Like you said, she was going to the body, she was going to the angle, she was drop shotting, she was uh, looping. It was just like trying everything, and and Hitomi Sato was like returning everything. Yeah, nothing was working. It was it was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at that point, I mean, like it, like if if you were in in Wang Manyu's position, I mean, what do you think? Do you think like keep trying everything or just like try to wear her out? I mean, like, what, what's the strategy at that yeah, point? Yeah, where do you go when, when you're trying everything and nothing is winning the point and you're looping, like, ten times yeah. in, per point? Like, yeah. where do you go from there? She ended up, I think Wang Minyu won that match. She did, So yeah. she she ended up figuring it out, but, yeah. yeah, like, you're trying everything and Sato just gets everything back, so. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will say that when whenever the Japanese announced their, um, their, uh, team that they were sending to the worlds. I was actually surprised that Hitomi Sato was on there, but after seeing her kind of perform against Wang Manyu, I'm like, wow! Like I've got to really pay attention to her a lot more now. Yeah, she's definitely earned her spot. I mean, this is in the round of 16 at the worlds. Like, yeah, that's pretty darn good. And another thing with watching choppers play is there's so much variation in the spin when they're chopping. Sometimes there's no spin. Sometimes there's a lot of spin and. Mm. Sometimes there's a lot of side spin, so it's kind of curving in. I think that's actually what ended up winning her the point. Yeah. But there's there's so much variation in in the chops when when you're when you're back from the table like that. That's cool. All right. Um, now it's time for the weird world of table tennis. This is my favorite part of the whole show. <laughs> and uh, Joe, you actually found something pretty cool, um, and you sent it to me. Why don't you tell me about it? So. I was I was just kind of looking up like what are what are some I'm I'm always I don't know I I was just kind of looking up what the fastest shot recorded was hmm. it was sixty nine point nine miles per hour or one hundred twelve kilometers per hour it's fast <laughs> it's it's fast um, I think it was kind of staged uh. when they did that um, so I was like well what's what's like the fastest so I was looking up and I found this guy from Purdue. Um, I, I'm from Indiana, so I was immediately interested in it. This guy from <laughs> Purdue, is, I think he's a professor. He built this ping pong ball cannon, <laughs> and he he shoots a ping pong ball at it. It says 943 miles per hour, or Mach 1.23, wow. uh, 15, over 1,500 kilometers per hour, and it's awesome. Like, you got to check it out. I, I want to meet this guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I want to go back to Indiana and just – I, he, I, I don't know how to explain it. So he, he makes this <laughs> cannon. He sets up like a ping pong paddle and the ball, like he does a slow-mo of it hitting the paddle. It The ball like vaporizes when it hits the paddle and then goes through it like a perfect circle on the paddle. And then it like snaps at the handle. It's, I don't know. It's a fun video to watch. If, if, if there's one thing to watch, more than the world championships. Watch this. <laughs> watch this video of, of this ping pong ball cannon. So yeah. we actually built a, a. We called it the Balzuka. We called a. <laughs> we we made a ping pong ball cannon in college, and it, it's. I mean, it's nothing compared to this one going at like faster than the sound barrier. <laughs> but yeah, we would shoot each other with it. <laughs> That's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, w- one thing I noticed was that they didn't have Dignics. Yeah, so the, maybe if the they paddle. used so, Harmoto's racket yeah, or with some Dignics. With Dignics, I mean, like, probably would have uh, deflected the, the ball. Yeah, it just went right through it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, cool. Um, that that's it. That's it for our show. Number two. So yes, yeah, I I actually had more fun with this one than the first one. I think I was pretty nervous on the first one. Yeah. Um, I'm more relaxed now. And what do you think of it? I think it went great. Um, yeah, definitely the last. Um, there were some interesting technical challenges with the last one in terms of editing and and setting up. So uh, it was easy setting up and. Um, it's also really fun, like, after the Worlds, there's so much fun stuff to talk about. It's, like, a really exciting time. Um, so hopefully the next uh, hopefully the next episode will also be be as exciting, but I don't know. Depends if Kokiniwa plays in any tournaments. Yeah, well, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be equally as good, or better. It'll be better, I promise you. So, <laughs> yeah, just I appreciate everyone listening and tuning in, and hopefully you keep listening and find it fun to listen to and yeah appreciate it yeah thanks and send us questions we want to we're going to answer your questions poorly uh, <laughs> um, and uh, catch us um, next month in table tennis talk in June and thanks for listening to table tennis talk table tennis talk is a monthly podcast by Joey Cochran and Ryan Lewis edited by Ryan Lewis music on the podcast comes from chill hop records Find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please send questions to tabletennistalkpodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at tttalkpodcast.